Hey there, I'm Emlyn Miles Mattingly, your host for the Minority Money Podcast. I'm glad you're here. You know why? Because this is the place you can come to get your weekly finance, family, and fitness motivation, not only to experience success in those areas for yourself, but also to help others in our community achieve greatness too. Super happy that you're on the show with me, so let's jump right in. Welcome to the Minority Money Podcast. I'm your host, Emlyn Miles Mattingly financial advisor and CEO of GenX Wealth Financial Plan. Today, I'm very excited to have our guest on. She is a medical doctor and a CFP, two titles you don't normally see together, but I thought because of the topic for this show, health and personal finance, who better to have than Dr. Carolyn McClanahan and CFP. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Always a pleasure to do these things. Thank you. You were very quick in getting back to me. I was first time I had heard you was back in 2017. I heard you on the Kitsis podcast. And actually, I use some of your stuff from that podcast. I believe you put out the client engagement letter that you have for your clients. I actually use that. So, yay, good for you. <laughs> so, thank you for that. So, if you could start with a short introduction of yourself, give us a little background about you, Carolyn. This is the quick version of that, and then we'll jump right in. Yeah, sure. Well, I started out as a doctor and I fortunately have always been interested in finance. I started out a math major in college and so I did my own IRAs and residency and learned about the stock market. And then my husband inherited some money from his parents in the mid 90s. And so we invested it and we thought we were brilliant because we did well. Now we just know we were lucky. And around 2000, we tried to find a financial planner. He did not want to be an engineer anymore. He was an aerospace engineer and wanted to become a track coach and a photographer. And I'm like, honey, I am not going to support you. So you got to make sure your money that your parents left you is enough to make that change. And we tried to find a financial planner and they were all salespeople and they were all just interested in investments, not in doing real financial planning. And that's when I went back to school, fell in love with financial planning and saw this huge need for people getting advice and opened my own firm in 2004. And then I kept seeing all these things where health and personal finance intersected. So, you know, I'm very active in NAPFA and I was in a study group and everybody gave so much to me in the financial planning profession. It's like, how can I give back to all these people who helped me? And so I started putting together these fun talks and all of a sudden it's like, wow, this is information that people don't know. And overwhelmed me how much people wanted to hear what I had to say. So I've been speaking around the country for long over a decade now on pretty much anything that intersects health and personal finance. So my businesses actually have three businesses now, my personal finance planning company, so life planning partners, and I have, there's four of us planners and we work as a team. So I couldn't do it without them. And then I have my software company, which is on aging planning. That's wealth care software. And then I do my speaking and writing. So split my time between all those. That is awesome, Carolyn. You do a lot. So I was looking at your website and just seeing like tab after tab and award after award that you received. So Thank you for your work and you're being really humble and not there's a laundry list of awards and accomplishments that you've made and differences you've made in the industry. So we thank you for that. I thank you personally for that. And I'm benefiting from it as I know your clients are and, and many other people. So what I wanted to do is I wanted to jump into some questions with you about how this all works. And, and the first one I wanted to get into was how to balance. How should people look at balancing life now and life in the future? 
I love that question because my big complaint about the financial planning profession is we focus too much on the future and not enough on the present. And if people aren't taking care of their physical health, their mental health, if they're not happy now, and especially if they're so worried about the future and focusing on saving for an uncertain future, what are we really doing? And so in our practice, we actually focus more on our number one question is, are you happy now? And if somebody isn't happy now, why? Do they like their job? Are there other issues going on in their life that they need to address? To me, financial planning, it really is financial life planning. Because if you can't get people to fix their regular life, they're going to end up spending a lot more money and not doing the right things for themselves financially. So that's a long answer to your question, but that's where planners should focus their time. I totally agree. I think that when I've had clients come in and they've had some personal things going on that aren't related to finance, it makes it incredibly difficult to try to focus on what they're doing now. And then it makes the future even more bleak because it's like, I don't know, you know, if I'm not happy with where I'm working or my home life or any situation like that, I can't get someone past that to really think about starting to plan for the future. So balancing the importance of doing things now and later. I love how you stated it and financial life plan. So with you being in the, the medical field, as well as the finance field, one of the things we talk about is insurability. The reason why insurability for me hit home is because as a when I was working at a life insurance company, we sold life insurance. So we talk a lot about protecting your insurability. This became something that for me, that was kind of scary to say the least, because a lot of my middle-aged black clients, African-American male clients, were not being qualified to receive insurance based on health issues, whether it was sleep apnea, whether it was high blood pressure, diabetes, what have you, some untreated stuff, some stuff that was treated. But what it did was it scared me <laughs> because I was like, I'm going to eventually be a middle-aged black man if I can't get anybody insured. This is scary. So it actually prompted me to make some changes. But can you talk to us a little bit about how important insurability is and, and what that means? No, it's a huge problem and people don't think about it till it's too late. And, you know, unfortunately, most of the problems that we have with our health are self-inflicted. About half of the problems are from just unhealthy diet and not exercising and not taking care of our mental health. And so that's why people end up with high blood pressure, diabetes, heart disease. And so when people are in their 20s and 30s, that's when they need to start taking a hard look at themselves. What's fortunate is your body is very resilient when you're young. But once you hit the 40s, I call that the point of no return because it gets really hard to fix your past transgressions. You know, so if you partied it up hard and got overweight, it's really hard to fix all that. And so people who are in their 20s and 30s, and I for advisors that especially serve that age cohort, you've got to talk about health with your clients. If your client is overweight, they're still insurable, right? And usually in their 20s and 30s, they have not developed the hypertension yet. So insurance will still be fairly inexpensive. Even with weight issues, the insurance companies now, the rate of obesity in this country is, well, and overweight is almost, it's 70%. So if they did not sell insurance to overweight people, they would not be able to sell any insurance, right? So when people are younger, you can still get really good rates on insurance, even if you are overweight. So I stress to young advisors working with young clients, get them insured to the hilt 
especially if they're overweight, especially if they have bad habits like smoking. And the other thing that's important for advisors to do is to show their clients the differences in rates of a normal weight or if the client's a smoker versus non-smoking. So I say, hey, look, here's the rates with you smoking. Here's the rates with you not smoking. And especially if they're a smoker, you need to get insurance now. And if you change your lifestyle and you quit smoking, we can always apply for new insurance later that will bring down the rates. And I'd say financial advisors can actually have more impact on their clients' health than doctors can because money talks. Absolutely. I believe that. And when we're saying insurability for those listeners that might not know what we're talking about, sometimes I speak in that jargon and clients are like, what does that mean? What does that mean? So insurability is protecting the ability to purchase insurance or have insurance. So the reason why that's important is just like Carolyn was saying is because if you have any health issues now, they are only going to get worse. Most people don't get healthier as they get older. I know it's crazy, but most people don't get healthier. Now, you do have some anomalies where people do, but in most cases, your health is going to slowly deteriorate. So for people that do not have insurance or that want to get insurance or anything like that, this is the time when you do that. Now, we won't get into the types of insurances because I have a whole nother thing on that and what my thoughts are on insurance. But the point of the story is get insurance while you're young so you can protect yourself later. I do want to say one thing about just very brief about the types of insurance. Disability insurance is the most important insurance for young people. And then life insurance, if you have anybody that counts on your money. And those two are, especially the disability insurance, it's really hard to get good rates if you're not taking care of yourself. So do it early. Yes. And disability insurance is the type of insurance that will replace your income. So you are more likely to have a disability than you are. Well, obviously, we know we're all going to pass away one day, but you have a higher chance of something happening that's going to affect your income than passing away. Because if you pass away, as bad as it sounds, you're no longer a problem. Right. That's a great way to put it. <laughs> if you get hurt and you can't work and you still have to live, then someone has to take care of you. And that presents more of a problem than passing away in some instances. Passing away is never good. I don't want people like that. I know listeners will come back later and be like, Emily, you said it. But passing away is never good. However, if you are alive and someone has to take care of you, that is a bad situation. too. Right. Right. So. This is the Minority Money Podcast, and you know we're trying to change the complexion of wealth. What I wanted to talk to you about, a question I had was health issues that you may have noticed that are more prevalent with minorities. And just wanted to have you talk a little bit about that, if you can. Yes. In general, it depends. And so minorities have a higher incidence of diabetes and hypertension. And a lot of that is due to family history, much higher family history of those problems, but plus the diet and exercise. So it all matters. And the problem is an individual, no matter the race, you don't know how much of your problem actually is your genetics versus your lifestyle. And so I caution everybody, don't put themselves in a basket when it comes to this. Everybody needs to do their best to try to live a healthy lifestyle because that's going to mitigate most of the genetic issues that are related to race. So it's a hard thing because you know, a lot of people grow up in families. And I was one. I grew up in the South and 
we ate unhealthy and my mom was overweight and I grew up, my dad was a baker. I grew up, you talk about changing lifestyle. I grew up living on donuts and Coke and ended up overweight. And in med school, I got bigger. And then finally I realized, wow, I got a, cause I came from very poor family. And so I was in now in with all these wealthier people who got to go to med school. I was very lucky that I got to go. And I thought, gosh, I got to preach to people how to live. I need to do this myself and it's doable. You just have to make a concentrated effort. And if your whole family is that way, it's important to get your family on board. Now I see that mistake with a lot of families is the parents are unhealthy. The kids, they're teaching their kids unhealthy behaviors. And when everybody gets on board with living healthy behaviors, it helps you and it helps your future generations. Absolutely. And I couldn't agree more with that. Definitely from the eating standpoint, I'm in my house, my grandmother was from the South. So, you know, eating fried, everything was like, food just tastes better when it's fried. It, yeah. Until you get off of it. And then it's like, yeah. oh, this is greasy. <laughs> yeah. You can taste the difference. Right? You, yep. like, wow, that does have a lot of grease or a lot of salt. But I think that you make a good point. It's changing the lifestyle. And it's not only just for the one individual, it is doing it across the family. And I think that sometimes it's easier to eat the things that aren't good for you than it is to eat the things that are healthy. It's one of those things about educating yourself. And, and I'm not, when I say lifestyle, we're not saying like fad diets. I'm not going to go into that because that's a whole nother issue. Yeah. But you want to be able to make those modifications in your diet to make sure that they suit you and the family. So we can't have this conversation about health without talking about healthcare costs and possible reform. So could you just talk a little bit about healthcare costs? You know, one of the talks that I put together early on was how to help your clients who can't get health insurance find health insurance. Because back before the Affordable Care Act, there was underwriting. And if you had a health problem, you couldn't get health insurance. So I'm really fearful that we're going to go back to that day. The ACA, so when the ACA passed, I read the entire law and I put together a talk and I always spoke highly of the good parts of the ACA and I spoke badly about the bad parts of the ACA. So I was hated by both sides. I write for Forbes. I've been writing for them a long time. I got the most hate mail because I got it from both sides. And one of the great things about the ACA is it guaranteed that anybody could get health insurance because there was no longer medical underwriting. The bad thing about the ACA, especially for people, regular middle-class people who had income, is that health insurance was very expensive. If you couldn't get subsidies to help pay for your care and you didn't have employer-based coverage, it only continued to get more expensive. And now even employer-based coverage is getting expensive because they're passing the costs on to the employee. So healthcare costs are crazy. And the underlying reason in this country is because one, our system is very inefficient. Our overhead is huge. You know, most countries, it's five to 15%. Our country, it's 25 to 30%. If we could cut our overhead by 15%, we'd have enough money to pay for primary care for everybody for free. Isn't that crazy? And that's the other problem with our country is that our system is specialist based. We do not have a good primary care system. And if people just got primary care, that would go a long way towards helping those basic common chronic problems people have like hypertension, obesity, diabetes. We could tackle those problems which are going to reduce healthcare costs down the road. Absolutely. I think that's very true. And the inefficiencies that we have in our healthcare program, we need to make some changes uh, sooner than later. And hopefully that gets taken care of. So 
with my listeners on the Minority Money Podcast, there's going to be their little younger listeners. However, I know a lot of these younger listeners have aging parents and they are probably going to end up taking care of those parents. I know my wife and I talk about it all the time. When we look at purchase on our next house, we're thinking about a piece of land big enough so we can put my in-laws there and possibly my aunt so that we can take care of them. But age planning, how will that help or what can people do in regards to the age planning? People talk about long-term care costs and the cost of getting old, and they're neglecting an important thing, and that's there are things that they can do that will help reduce the cost. And I've identified through the years, I call it the big four of aging, where people end up wasting money just because they didn't plan in advance. And that's, when are you going to move to a safer living situation? When are you going to get help with financial decision-making so you don't make stupid mistakes with your money? Because the older people get, the harder it is for them to analyze complex financial things. And they're higher the risk of fraud and abuse. When are they going to quit driving? Because that's very financial. We had a client who needed to quit driving and she had two accidents. It's my only client that ever actually accessed their umbrella policy. So that finally got her to quit driving. And then when are you going to get help with healthcare decisions? Because especially at end of life, people are reaching for straws, basically. It's like they think they're supposed to keep going. Nobody's happy. There's no quality of life. And because people never talk about quality of life and what's important to them, the whole family ends up spending a lot more time and energy on unnecessary health care instead of keeping people comfortable and exiting life in a more peaceful fashion instead of just spending your life in hospitals and doctor's offices. So the way you do that is you need to proactively plan. Finally, I've been talking to advisors about this for a decade now, and they're like, well, it's easy for you because you're a doctor. And I'm like, these are just normal life conversations. This isn't medical stuff we're talking about. And so I put together worksheets and, you know, just all these different tools for advisors to use. And they still complain, this is too hard. We can't do this. And so I plan to write a book. And then that's when I met my software partner in 2016 he had developed a tool to identify when people are having issues with financial decision-making, a cognitive screen. It's been validated, published in Alzheimer's and Dementia Journal. And and I said, this is fantastic because advisors have a hard time figuring out, are you having trouble? I said, the problem is your tool points out a problem, but it doesn't provide any solutions. And here's what I've been doing. And I'm writing a book. He says, oh, you got to put that in software. And so that's where wealth care planning was developed. And it helps take people through the big four and put plans in place in advance so that the family's not scrambling when bad things happen. You know, we have a version for advisors, but we also have a version for the public. It's 39 bucks a year. So if you have a parent that you're worried about, you just send them the link and it's three questionnaires. They each take about 15 minutes and it helps the family point out where are the holes and helps them create a plan for plugging those holes. So it's a cheap 39 bucks for potentially saving thousands and thousands of dollars and tons of heartache by being more proactively ready instead of being reactive when those aging issues hit. Absolutely. I think that would be something that we'd have to put into the show notes so we can link that. Oh, thank you. Yes. So we can have people look at that because I think that's the first thing people are going to say, well, where is it at? So we want to yeah. make sure we make that available to you. So we will try to have that added so you guys can find that. Also, we'll post it in the Facebook group. So I'll post that link in the Facebook community. If you haven't joined already, please, the Minority Money 
VIP Facebook group. So this part of the interview will be where we talk about, like I call it, the changing complexion of wealth. And I always like to leave the listeners with something that from the guest motivates them. So what motivates Carolyn and inspires you to continue to learn and grow and do things? What's your biggest motivation? This question is very interesting to me because I think we all go through that existential crisis of what is the purpose of life? And I finally realized I've done so many crazy things in my life. And what I realized what motivated me is I love solving problems and I'm very empathetic. And so I love helping create solutions to help people and the environment and just whatever. And, you know, I'm big into all those issues out there and people laugh at how unbridled I am on Twitter because I talk about healthcare reform. I talk about politics. I talk about everything you're not supposed to talk about if you're a business person. And I I think we all need to, because if we don't say something, nothing's going to change. So what motivates me is when I see bad things happening in the world, I realize that most people are actually good people. They're just surrounded by bad culture. And so when you have leaders that are doing bad things and perpetuating bad culture, that makes the world not a nice place. So what motivates me is to combat that and to bring goodness into the world, to bring good solutions, thoughtful solutions, that if we can get more and more people acting good, then we can make the world a better place. I'm a pragmatic optimist. Love it. So I was listening to something that you said earlier, and you were talking about growing up relatively poor and then going to school and being able to be around these wealthy people that were going to medical school. And then I had another guest on that talked about how important education was to him, not an aspect of what he learned, but the people that he met. The question is, do you think education plays a big part in wealth building? Oh, by far. I mean, you know, it's very sad to me that in school we don't teach more about critical thinking. We don't teach more about basic personal finance and that we don't teach more about values around money. I think our consumer oriented society has really skewed all socioeconomic statuses into thinking that they're supposed to have certain things to be happy. And that's not true. So yes, education is important in wealth building, but I think our country kind of has a skewed view of what is really wealth. And I think health and wealth like mesh together because it doesn't matter, you know, how much money you have or wealth you have. If you're not healthy or around to do anything with it, then what purpose does it have? Exactly. And so the same, just like to me, we have poor financial education early. We also have poor health education. I mean, you know, they've stripped physical education from schools. Diets in schools still aren't optimal. It's getting better. And, you know, one thing I loved about Michelle Obama is her awareness around fitness and diet and education. And I think that moved the needle a little bit. We just got to keep moving it forward. Absolutely. I think having health education healthy snacks. I mean, I remember being on diets myself and then going places and eating and being like, yeah, you know, I'm going to get a sandwich. I'm going to get some chips and I'll get a Diet Coke and that's healthy. And I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with eating sandwiches. It's just like whatever your purpose is for your diet, be educated enough to be able to make the changes that you need to make so that you can receive the results that you want. The last question that I have is if you could offer a piece of advice to our listeners, what would that piece of advice be? Always be your genuine, authentic self, because then you don't ever have to be anybody else. 
learn what it takes to be comfortable in your own skin and to stand up for what you believe in. And once you do that, it's like the world just changes for you. It's like, I don't worry about what people say or think about me to the extent that I know what I'm doing is a good thing. Awesome. I love that. Be yourself. I love it. Carolyn, if our listeners want to get in contact with you or if they want to follow you and learn more about some of the stuff you're doing, uh, you did mention that you wrote for Forbes, which I think is awesome. Where can our listeners find you on? I love Twitter. So I'm at Carolyn MCC, C-A-R-O-L-Y-N-M-C-C. And just warning, I'm totally unbridled. And I do, I write for Forbes, I write for Financial Planning Magazine and a number of other things. The best way people can find my writing is they can actually go to my personal website, which is carolynmcclanahan.com. And of course, there's wealth care planning. That's where the aging planning is. That's W-H-E-A-L-T-H plan.com. So you're going to connect to that. And then my financial planning firm is lifeplanningpartners.com. So like I said, I have three businesses and they all have their own place. I try to put together everywhere I'm going and where I'm speaking, what I'm doing on the carolynmcclanahan.com site. Facebook, I'm not a big user of. I just don't like their privacy issues and how they try to manipulate what we see. So you won't find me much there. I post butterflies there. I raise monarch butterflies. So that's about all you're going to see on Facebook are my butterflies. Nothing wrong with that. I love the fact that you gave the advice. And said this, you know, be your authentic self. And you said, well, if you go to Twitter, you're going to get authentic Carolyn. <laughs> so please follow Carolyn to get more information on what she's doing. Thank you for coming to the show. It was such an honor to have you and look forward to more of the great things that you're going to be doing in the future. Oh, my pleasure. This was a good conversation. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Thank you, Carolyn. Another great showdown, but it doesn't have to stop there. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on whatever podcast app you're listening on now and give it a good rating, would you? If you feel really connected to the podcast, which I hope you do, find our Facebook community, Minority Money VIP, to support and be supported by others just like you. And again, we're glad to have you. While this podcast is meant to inspire and motivate you to live your best life, it can't be your complete one-stop shop. I know, I know, that really sucks. But I don't know anything about your specific situation. So please reach out to an attorney or CPA, or you can reach out to me, a financial planner, to help you with your specific situation. To get a hold of us, please reach us at fan at Minority Money Podcast. That's F-A-N at Minority Money Podcast so we can get to know you there. Thanks for being here. And until next time.